but Myrtle isn't there either. Uh, and this is obviously very weird. Like, where are you hiding a whole ass Andalite? I will say, I do love the description we get of this sort of like home that they've made like the way they've cultivated grass to grow mm-hmm. inside and just a really lovely and also heartbreaking kind of description about what it's like to have mm-hmm. to create a space like this mm. and the attempt made to make it a comfortable place mm-hmm. like this is clearly set up as a home yeah like that with the the uh, the greenhouse outside a lot of love and care has been put into this. Mm-hmm. You'll hear me talk about this. You'll hear us talk about the gay Andalites a lot. Like, nothing's forefront all here. Like, you don't, nothing's said. Uh, they're described, um, there's a good moment later. I won't spoil it when we get to it. But, like, the very much is the vibe of, if you look at it, even with the slightest kind of queer reading. Mm-hmm. It it's so much like away from home, setting up a house with the person mm-hmm. you love and doing mm-hmm. the best that you can because you can't be at home anymore, but you have mm-hmm. this person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As I said, uh, I'm going to enjoy the good bits of this book. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we get a conversation. Um, that I'm going to read because once again we have acts being fucking gross. Oh uh, boy! Yeah, it's fun. We get to learn more about Andalite society. We love to learn more about Andalite society. Oh yay! Uh, <laughs> Orpins Gaffinalin, I would like to understand why you seem to have no interest in joining our joining our fight against your domination. Uh, very well, young Oxymili. Uh Perhaps you will find my story an unlikely one, but it is true, and it is mine. As I have told you, at one time, not so long ago, I was engaged in the war against the Yerks, assigned to the Dome Ship's, Dome ship's forces, as was your esteemed brother, Elfangor. Yes. Myrtle and I were fighter pilots. We came up through the Academy together, and we each earned a reputation for excellence and bravery. However, no one is immune to the vagaries of war. During the battle with the blade ship, the battle that destroyed the dome ship, my fighter was hit and the main engine was destroyed. Almost immediately, I lost control and slammed into Myrtle's already damaged fighter. Our wings somehow locked and, as one, the ships spiraled to the ground. I was sure we would both be killed. Instead, we became two more living casualties of war. For some reason, we both survived, spent several excruciating months, months hiding in the woods, dodging prying eyes, until I was able to acquire a human morph and venture into the world. You see, I only sustained minor injuries, a few burns, easily healed broken ribs. Myrtle, however, was more seriously hurt. In time, he recovered from his other injuries, but his tail, it was severed. And because of his inability to utilize the morphing technology, there was nothing that could be done. He will never be restored to his normal self. And now I am no longer a warrior in the service of the Andalite world. I am Myrtle's protector and friend. After all, if I had been able to maintain control of my plane, Myrtle might have not have suffered as he has. Terrible, Axe said. There was a trace of sympathy in his thought speak. Just a trace. Myrtle was deprived a hero's death and forced to live out the rest of his days as a vehicle. 
I am happy Myrtle is alive, Gaffinola encountered. I believed him. So where is he? I asked. I'd like to meet him. Impossible, Axe. No, Gaffinolan. Okay, so can I ask why? It is unthinkable to intrude upon the isolation of a V-Cole, Axe explained. His isolation is the only dignity he has. Well, it's not like I'm going to point and laugh or anything, I said. I can't even say hey to the guy? No answer from either Andalite. Maybe I should have kept my mouth shut. Probably. But there are some topics I just can't let alone. I faked a laugh. You Andalites need some serious attitude adjustment when it comes to the differently abled. We have our ways, Axe said simply. Uh, Axemili, Gaffinolan said heartily, changing the subject. Will you honor me by sharing some Ilsipar root? <laughs> uh, <laughs> here's the thing. When Axe is in human morph, he can't get enough of cinnamon buns. I mean, it's frightening. Well, when I saw that same crazed look flit across his normal expressionless and light face, the look that says, give it to me now or I will be forced to hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know about y'all, but, like, I very strongly got the sense that Ilsapar's basically weed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Given its medicinal uses as well. Just yeah. yes. Kind yeah. of like, this can be recreational, but it's also useful in treating this. It's like, okay, cool. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. Uh, we We learn that... Uh, not only is Axe just a fucking dickwad, uh, all of Andalite society is unsurprisingly really fucking terrible with disabled people in that they make them isolate themselves from the rest of society like fucking monks or something. Uh, and that's the only dignity they have now is to be away from everybody else. And even Gaffinolan, who obviously cares a lot about Myrtle, subscribes to... Well, actually. Given that we know later that... Myrtle's been taken. Myrtle's been taken. You know, on first read, Gaffinolan's objection definitely seems like uh, he's agreeing with Axe in that Myrtle is in isolation and therefore cannot come out or would not I want to come out. I think it's an excuse. Like, yeah, it's nah, an excuse. He, no. mm -hmm. Not to uh, say that he doesn't subscribe to some of the same feelings right. um, that we're seeing Axe fucking bellow from the rooftops. Um, but it does feel more likely that he's using Axe's prejudices against him. Yeah. As a thing that Axe is not going to question. Mm -hmm. Right. Before uh, we let Emily tear into this, because uh, <laughs> I want oh. to hear uh, their thoughts, it did strike me on reading um, that I wonder if the Ghost Rider was inspired by certain uh, orthodox traditions about how... Um, like, for example, when people menstruate, they be kept separate for mm -hmm. cleanliness sake. And I'm not saying that there is, this is a fucking direct parallel, but rather the notion mm -hmm. of someone being kept away. Um, but 
as I say this, this feels less to do with a cleanliness issue, which is why like leper colonies are kept separate and why um, there are those sort of old school um, traditions and rituals around like keeping people separate in that instance. But it does strike me as maybe being inspired by that kind of thinking. Mm -hmm. But also there's a long history of uh, undesirable people being put in asylums Mm -hmm. and hospitals, Um, like people with the kinds of uh, disabilities, uh, like strong visual components i can't think of any particular examples but people that would be forced to be in like freak shows and things in like mm-hmm. years gone by just like no we're going to put them away so we don't have to look at them and it feels much more like andalite society has that attitude just like it's more dignified they get to have their dignity this way it's just like mm, i think you just don't want to look right mm-hmm. it is what like you can dress it up how you like there's like, to be fair, I mean, if I lived in Adelaide society and people had that attitude, I might want to go be elsewhere so I don't have to deal with that <laughs> bullshit. Um, but it strikes me the notion that with labels, uh, as theme this book, labels suck when they're put on you by other people. If you mm-hmm. claim them for yourself, like reclaiming slurs, um, what you were saying, Emily, before about how a lot of like disabled activists and I like take on uh, the C word, just like, yeah, no, nah, my word, fuck you, I'm going to use this. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we take for ourselves is different to like being forced, having something forced on us, being forced into a box. Or like, and like, there's long histories about like ghettos and things like that. Just the pa- the dominant power putting all of the people that don't fit their ascribed values elsewhere. Yep. Ah, <sighs> yeah. I so fun fact. I jokingly in our in our document, I was like, oh, do the Andalites have ugly laws? <laughs> <laughs> And Danielle was like, I can't tell if this is genuine, but oh boy, do they. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) Yeah, Um, it's, yeah. So for, uh, because I know some people may not know, um, for anyone who is unaware, Ugly Laws were, um, and I'm going to read this from a website called... uh, Unfortunately, again, we're, we're going to have to use the word eugenics. Um, this is a website called eugenicsarchive.ca. Um, so-called ugly laws were mostly municipal statues, statutes in the United States that outlawed the appearance in public of people who were, in the words of one of these laws, quote, diseased, maimed, mutilated, or in any way deformed so as to be an unsightly or disgusting object. Chicago City Code, 1881, end quote. Hmm. Uh, So, very disgusting language used. Um, Yeah. So, and most of these laws were not repealed until, like, I think the last one was repealed in the 70s. So, this is the kind of, like, thing it's evoking. Mm-hmm. And yes, like the dignity thing is 
one thing because it can feel very frustrating to deal with people who don't understand. But that's not the disabled person's problem. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, like, like Jade was saying, you know, that's not the real problem. The problem is other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so it should never be this like, oh, well, you know, you're disabled now. So for your good, we're going to put you somewhere else so that, you know, you're safe. And mm-hmm. like, well, but that doesn't do anything. That doesn't change anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something that even I had to come to terms with when I realized, you know, like, oh, I, I am disabled, uh, because you have things like realizing that our society puts such a value on the quote unquote perfect body and mm. deconstructing those ideas of like what makes me uncomfortable and realizing like what parts of my own body make me uncomfortable. Mm. Uh, and of course, like I've said, using humor to cope, uh, seeing a little bit of that in Marco's and seeing like the rough around the edges, like his language of differently abled and it's like, Ooh, (laughs) but seeing that like little spark of, okay, I see where he's using some of the same coping mechanisms I use when I, you know, am talking to people about it because sometimes I don't know how to cope other than to make a joke about something because mm-hmm. it's heavy. It's hard to, you know, express some of those feelings because mm-hmm. you're carrying the weight of this bullshit. <laughs> mm-hmm. And a big. Oh, go ahead. Go on. Sorry, I just got to elaborate on your point. Like it's established in the books that Marco's mother, like, no, you laugh at the universe, you laugh at the world, because otherwise you're gonna cry. And like that, we're just like it's an outlet. You could get angry, you could cry, or you could make a joke about it. And I know what in what instances I would rather do. (laughs) Like I don't want to cry. I don't want to get pissed off. I don't need. I'll crack a joke. Because then everyone will laugh and we'll all feel, or at least I'll laugh. And that's a better feeling to sit with. It's just like, if I come across as I'm in on the joke, if I make a joke at my expense or about the situation, then it diffuses the tension because everyone's like, oh, it's so weird. This person can't do this thing because we've fucked up. We haven't realized or, oh, there's bad access here. And you just crack a joke about it diffusion because it's easier to do that than deal with all the hand wringing and the apologizing and the people beating themselves up about it it's like i don't need this right now i just want to get into the building (laughs) you know like can we please move on absolutely Mm -hmm. and especially please oh go ahead go on no 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 no. i've (laughs) talked enough please (laughs) oh yeah that's a big one like when people are like you know, when you're trying to figure out any sort of accessibility thing and you just, like, crack a joke about it because you're like, 
God, I just want this to be done. Or if you can't figure something out and you're like, I really don't want to have to ask someone for help because I'm used to having, especially once you get used to figuring out your own accommodation and you're independent, you don't want to ask someone else for help because you're like, okay, I've got this figured out. I know what I need, but, you know, sometimes you realize, like, it's it's that struggle with internalized ableism sometimes because you realize maybe I will need help or maybe I don't need help and it's okay either way because society has taught us that needing a caregiver is bad and society has taught us to be praised for being disabled but also being independent. So it's very complex so seeing a little bit of that as well in this is like Gefinilan is also a caregiver and so mm-hmm. it's it's wonderful that he has that so and it doesn't seem like there there feels like a little bit of guilt in it but there also seems to be like genuine like we see the way you can read it as a queer thing and there seems to be like genuine love and i mm-hmm. i like that because genuinely there doesn't aside from like that little bit of guilt there doesn't seem to be that much like oh it's bad that you know Gefinilan is that they're that they care about each other right yeah i think so often when you see sort of like caregiving portrayed whether it's emotional or physical a lot of time it's portrayed as how negative it is for the caregiver and how hard work it is just like oh you're so good for doing this for that person totally minimizing the experience of the person that needs the assistance society's always a quick to heap praise and we have to hear somebody just like no this is what i do i look after him he's my friend there's no resentment or anger there. And it's not like the scent, the word duty is used, but it's not like he's really like he's doing this out of obligation either. Right. Because mm-hmm. I think it'd be very easy to portray this. Well, it's my fault he crashed. So, ergo, I will look after him. Like you said, there's that hint of guilt there, just like an awareness of the part he played. Just like, no, this is, I, you know, I do this for him. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't occur to him to not do it because it's, like it's refreshing to see that, especially because a lot of the time the relationships with Sin in the books where that's kind of been necessary, it's been portrayed as I'm thinking about Marco and his dad and how Marco yeah. is forced into being self-sufficient and because and that's the, that also is like, well, that's a child looking after an adult, but also that's the reality for a large amount of minors in the world is being a caregiver to a family member or a parent. So, mm-hmm. but it, it's refreshing to see this talked about in a way just, ah, this is what we do. Yeah. And we get that sort of reinforced later in the other way in the relationship. But um, I guess just on what you were saying, Emily, about what we need what is needed and how society works around disabled people or fails to do so. Just the labels of um, 
high functioning and low functioning, uh, specifically mm. within like the autistic community. Um, but also I think it applies wider just like and like the terms high and low functioning are bullshit. And what they really boil down to is how much assistance or some how much your autism affects other people or is it noticeable by other people. Absolutely. And the second, like you you need things or you need accommodations, you become low functioning because you're a problem that needs to be solved. And like you were saying, just like, oh, well, if you look after yourself, then praise be, but also, oh, no, we're not going to give you money. No, 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 no. Oh, well, you're clearly able-bodied enough to work because you <laughs> can do all this. And it's like that catch-22. And mm-hmm. it's, the system is rigged against the, against disabled folk. Mm-hmm. Very much. Like, I know, um, I don't know, I think it's similar here in the UK, but like, uh, disabled people not being able to marry their partners because it would fuck with their the few yeah. bits of government assistance they can get. That's a thing here too, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, so yeah. Society yep. is done broke. Yeah. It's a It is. It is. Um but hey Um, so diving back in (laughs) so um there's got to be like okay we need more information because i need to meet your prince yeah okay it'll happen and marco's like fuck no i am not letting jake come here until i know more about it which is just my heart aches just like because he's looking out for jake jake's the leader and his best friend and just, it's good. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Marco is kind of an idiot. Yeah. Um, my dumbass son. But first, the kids do a accidental meeting at the mall uh, to just sort of like share intel. There's a weird formatting error in the PDF that took me a little hot minute to get around. <laughs> um, but talk about what is this a trap? What the deal is with Myrtle? Um, Axe being axed about it uh talking seriously we're having icing on his face from a cinnamon bun um just good little detail good again i love me these little scenes we get of the gang together being kids and also being animals at the same time mm-hmm. it's cool to see um but the kids are like okay well this is the situation jake is gonna go in um there'll be cover it's fine we'll do this later um how about tomorrow? Uh, Tobias, who's been in human morph, uh, he's just like, I need to go. Can we please go? Because <laughs> like, we get a lot of these like off the side, like Tobias being uncomfortable in the conversation, mm-hmm. which comes to a beautiful head later that maybe punch the air in triumph because like, yes. Um, but everybody like they, they share intel and then they uh, go their separate ways. And we're left with Marco and Rachel. Um, and this is great. I love this mm-hmm. um, because Marco's fully prepared to go. So uh, you and me, eh, Rachel? <laughs> and she's just like, no. <laughs> um, yeah, I could watch you act stupid, but I'm not gonna. I'm not in the mood. Um, and we get this lovely little bit of insight from Rachel about Marco. Um, 
It's like a lot of the time you're a major cynical freak, you know? Um, uh, thanks, I guess. But you're also the best at knowing when something genuinely stinks. I can block out your lame jokes, but I can't ignore your paranoid instincts. And again, Michael like tries to laugh it off, like, yeah, okay, thanks. And she frowns, like, look, I mean it. I know you're not letting Jake go back to Gefinland, so don't bother denying it. You've got a plan. I want to know what it is. And he's just like, uh, why? So you can tell your bird boyfriend and screw me up with Jake? No, you moron. So I can go with you because you need someone to cover your butt. Uh, and then he's like, see, I knew you cared. And then she kicks him. And it's just, <laughs> yes. I love the Rachel Marco dynamic when it's written well and not yes. gross. Yes. But her like, no, if you think there's something dicey here, then there's something dicey here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're paranoid, but... Like, it saved our lives more than anything else. Mm -hmm. So, and I just like it, that song. Like, even though Rachel and Mark have one of the most strained relationships in the animals, like, she has his back mm -hmm. and knows him well enough to be like, yeah, nah, bitch, I know what you're doing. No, I'm not letting you do it by yourself. Come on. <laughs> you're, you're meant to be smarter than this. Yeah. Yeah. Um so they've got a plan, which is, uh, as noted Marco, uh, to get a bee morph to sneak into the greenhouse because Marco saw be uh, saw a bee in there. Um and Marco did have the insight to like catch hold of a bee and acquire it as a morph, got stung for mm -hmm. his trouble because he held on too tight. Um, but it's just again foresight. That's that's who you be. But he, I love he does some little bit of research on bees before mm -hmm. doing because like small morphs tend to go bad for the guy. <laughs> um, so it's like so far to spend some time on the internet. Uh, freaks out when apparently he didn't know beforehand that bees have hives and like a <laughs> social instinct. Um, <laughs> and given the bad uh, experience they had being ants. It makes him kind of nervous. Um, but he's prepared, like, he's going to just have to avoid the hive and just deal with it. So uh, they land, they figure out uh, where the colony is because uh, they spot a bee moving around. Uh, they realize, okay, you're going to have to follow another bee in so you don't die on the force field like a bug zapper. I'm paraphrasing, <laughs> but that's what is implied here um but they find the hive apparently this garden is huge uh we need a nice little lampshade hanger but maybe he won the lottery and mm, given in situations there's probably some kind of there could be andalite fuckery involved oh yeah which i'm here for frankly um and she's just like okay anything goes wrong you call me don't be a hero and then my self-deprecating son being like no danger of that and I die. <laughs> I love my son. Anyway, um, he morphs B. Uh, partway through, Rachel is distinctly grossed out by it happening. Um, <laughs> just giving a running commentary on the morphing process, which is just a very funny notion to me. Um, I love that him growing hair all over his body is what makes it less nauseating. Um, so... Um, does have this moment 
Um, oh, he has the moment of realizing that uh, he's a female bee because clearly he didn't do enough good research. Um, enough research to know the uh, the shape that he is as a female bee and not enough to know that it's only female bees that leave the hive <laughs> unless the whole lot are going. I'm being mean. Uh, reminds himself to not sting anybody because he'll die. Um, because <laughs> that's how bees work, and then the fl- uh, honeybee brain kicks in. He's like, mm-hmm. he needs to get to the hive, and Rachel's trying to get through to him, like Marco, get a grip, don't go to the hive. Um, it's just like all for the hive, and we get he lands, does a little, he meets a guard bee, and does a little dance. Um, I mean, this is what it's not described as doing a little dance, but that's how bees communicate, and it's good shit. Mm-hmm. Um. Mm-hmm. And we get the the comrade to like the new source of food for the hive, all for the hive. Um, <laughs> and Rachel like eventually snaps him out of it. Um, he's just like, "What's wrong with you? It's a stupid honeybee." And then we get an annoying uh, quote that annoying. Sorry, but I'm not sure I'd call the bee stupid. You need individuality and sentience to be stupid, don't you? As compared to smart or silly or whatever. She's like, "I guess." And we get the comparison. It's not as bad as being an ant. Uh, because ants are more like being part of a whole or a machine, and the, <laughs> we get uh, the the uh, parallel of beehives to communism, um, which just kind of delights me. It's a very reductive view of communism, but uh, you know, all for one, we're bringing in the crops, we feed the next generation. Uh, I do like pay homage to the queen. That's what communism is like. Mm, no, <laughs> but. Um, but uh, Rachel just calls him Comrade Marco and tells him to get on with it. Um, <laughs> first attempt goes badly. Uh, they, the bee that Marco is trailing gets taken out by what is, was it a robber fly? Is yeah. revealed to be later. Mm-hmm. But it just describes as like a monster insect, um, like dive bombs and swoops this first bee and then gets a hold of Marco mm-hmm. uh, on the next one and does some serious damage. Um, gets skewered um, before <laughs> this fly gets a really rough time of being dive bombed by a bald eagle, which <laughs> props to the eyesight on the bald eagle for Rachel being able to clip a fly and not kill a bee in the process. <laughs> um, but like Marco hits the deck, and we have this moment of Rachel like genuinely panicking. Which I like. Mm-hmm. I like that. That happens a lot in this book. Is how Marco, especially because we're with him POV wise, but this concern for each other mm-hmm. that I just like is just there and baked in. Yeah. Um, but it's like Marco, are you okay? I'm alive, but I'm not okay. Um, <laughs> the the thing still got me. It's just like, oh, you're fine. I got him. Tore him right in half <laughs> because he's still like being held onto by a couple of the legs that skewered him. Uh-huh. <laughs> now nah, you're fine. Um, and but then we get Rachel apologizes to him for letting him fall, which I'm just like a Rachel apology. Mm. <laughs> um, but she picks him back up. Um, a bald eagle dive bombing bugs in the backyard. Not too weird. Um, but they go back behind the tree. They both demorph and remorph, keeping an eye out for more of these terrifying bugs. Um. And Marco makes his way to the greenhouse and can see the force field. Um, mm-hmm. It is in bee purple, which is actually a thing. Yes. Um, 
interesting about how bees are colorblind, apparently. Uh, he says, like, he does, it's weird because before it's just like, oh, well, the thing that was read before is in red. I'm fairly certain bees can see in color. They can. And- yes. It's, it's, um, it's just different to human color vision. Uh, yeah. They have different um, photoreceptors. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, bee purple, as described poorly in the book as between yellow and ultraviolet on the spectrum, too intense for human eyes to make out. As Danielle pointed out, I know there's a lot of colors between yellow and ultraviolet, uh, if you <laughs> in the spectrum, but like it's actually a mixture of the two. So, mm-hmm. uh, thank you, Google. Um, but being able to see the force field makes it easy enough um, for him to make his way in uh, pretty easily. Rachel gives him the heads up that uh, Gafinalan is there, but um, spots the bees and then pays no mind because it's bees and bees are good. Um, and Marco does a little tour of the house um, and realizes there is no trace of Myrtle. Yep. Um, no scent or anything. Didn't none of his senses can pick up the presence of another person, or at least who hasn't been here in a long time, mm-hmm. specifically. Um, but then we cut to a team meeting at the barn. Uh, and Jake getting down to brass tags after uh, telling Marco off and glaring at Rachel. Um, but then admits that the information is valuable, which <laughs> we love Jake. <laughs> um, but then there's like, okay, so what about this? Does it even exist? Was this, a, was the video a fake? Axe is able to confirm that there was Myrtle at the Academy. There's records and that, um, this fighter pilot by that name won an honor. Um, and then just casual a bit of, of course, I did not know he was morphing capable. I was under the impression the Academy did not admit V-Cords. And it's just like, fuck off. Ugh. Um, then Marco clearly pissed off. Uh, yeah, you hate when your hero turns out to be, and he uses the C word. And so like, that's pretty crappy. Um, you hate when your hero turns out to be disabled. That's pretty crappy. It's just sort of like... There's that viciousness in that bite back, which again I think pays digit the why this might be a sore subject for Marco. Because mm-hmm. Jake's just like, okay, we need to keep on topic. What do we do? And it doesn't get addressed further in that moment. But um Rachel's like, so what do they even want? They don't want to hurt us, they don't want to help us. He says he wants us to be left alone, but then he asks to meet Jake, and the kids start theorizing about what could be the goal here um tobias tries to offer i don't think the guy knows what he wants and then axe just cuts him off um and brings up the uh the ilsapa route again um and he explains that as well as being a mild intoxicant taken in the manner somewhat like humans take tea or coffee each morning and i'm like mm-hmm, sure chat. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I do know some people that use weed like that, but that's not the point. (laughs) And he explains how it has the medicinal uses in great quantities. It eases the pain of Sula's disease. This is a genetically programmed disease. It causes increasing pain in the joints as well as the muscles extreme at the end. In some cases, in some it causes progressive blindness. It strikes in the prime of life and is always fatal. Just... (sighs) 
And Jake's like, well, I, ca- I don't get what that has to do with this. And Rachel is like, I don't understand. If he has the disease, he can't cure himself by morphing. Oh, wait, yes, I do. His own DNA still has the disease. It's like he's trapped. And Axe posits that maybe he wants to acquire another Andalite as a morph without, um, without the gene that uh, pre-posed him to the disease. Um, and then we get this bullshit. Um, in other words, the victim of Sula's disease must abandon his imperfect body. He must become a Nolothet. And Tobias just looks at Axe, and it's not written, but the deadpan sounds reasonable. <laughs> um, and then we get this little reveal from Axe about how choosing to be a Nolothet is such a situation for such a situation or for such a purpose is considered an act of cowardice morally wrong despicable again we're seeing that disgust mm-hmm. and when Cassie posits well why didn't he just acquire Axe if it's just to do that he's just like no nah, no nah, he's super buff he wants an equally good body I'd be a significant downgrade <laughs> uh, it's just like no nah, he'd never choose to adapt, adopt a body of a youth um, he'd wait for years for it to get to the maximum potential. Uh, and plus, I would never give my permission for such an act. Let me get this detail about, uh, yeah, because somebody comments that uh, Gal Finland's not shown any signs of pain. And he says, well, that's a warrior thing. Like, you don't show signs of physical weakness or mental strain publicly. And they posit that, oh, so this guy, he wants to acquire, because he thinks Jake is an Andalite, so he wants to acquire Jake as a morph. Um, And then we get this back and forth argument slash discussion between the kids. Um, Cassie pointing out, well, if he'd do that, that would make him a coward. And from what you were saying, he doesn't seem like the type to care about or do you think he's a coward or do you think he doesn't care or not the way there's this lot of back and forth mm-hmm. um marco is like i don't care but said, the guy's a liar regardless and doesn't trust him um and rachel's with marco um agree like gefenland's in a bad place um and so and that makes people desperate mm-hmm uh, and Marco is enough and he's kind of thinking like has a very poor opinion of Giffenland in all senses like no I don't think he cares about Myrtle's happiness and this was all a ploy so and Cassie's like that's real fucking harsh mm-hmm. um, but Axe well it could be the truth um, as much as it pains me to acknowledge the possibility of such behaviour on the part of a fellow Andalite um, loyalty, Tobias said quietly, enigmatically, is all there is. And Cassie's like, well, why don't we try to give Myrtle the morphing power? We have the cube. And acts like, well, no, it's likely he's allergic to it or has something that makes his body reject the technology. And any good, what good is our forcing it upon him? So, and then Jake's just like, look, we, we can't get, we're not getting any closer to the truth doing this. Is this guy a bad guy or not? The only way to know is to get to him mm-hmm. and talk to him. Yeah. So it's... they're going to do that. But let's have a little break and talk about 
all of that, shall we? <laughs> oh, oh boy. So, yeah. Have you have you coaxed your soul back into your body for the purpose of having the conversation? Like, <laughs> yeah. Just like pull it back down on a tether. <laughs> so this is the point where I I think I had I had gotten like home from work, and I immediately like minimized all my things. And I just immediately DM'd Dirk, and I was like, how much do you remember about this book? Because I need to know if you specifically messaged the server that we're in together, because you remembered this book. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I have a condition called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, which is a genetic condition. Um, So as soon as I heard that we were talking about a genetic condition uh, that causes joint and muscle issues I was like staring at the camera like I'm in the office (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. because Ehlers-Danlos affects how your body makes connective tissue which means I am essentially Gumby at all time Uh, I even had a physical therapist once say I don't mean this in a bad way but you kind of walk like Gumby Uh, (laughs) And I was like, no, I totally understand. Um, thank you. I will take that as a compliment. So, as soon as I read this, I was like, oh god. This is bad. This is really bad. <sighs> I I feel like the best place to start is the way... Acts says it is genetically programmed. That to me mm. is interesting because mm-hmm. it almost makes it sound like somewhere along the line someone made it. Mm. And that is like terrifying to think about because it it kind of reinforces the idea that we saw earlier where if it can be made it can be unmade so Mm. the idea that like oh well if he had you know if he was able to morph he would have done it already speaking of myrtle if he was able to morph he would have already morphed and demorphed and fixed his tail because obviously he would want to be healthy um It's, oh my goodness. It's also interesting that it's progressive and that the, whoever chose, I assume maybe K.A. chose to go with the overarching story of this, chose to make it progressive Mm -hmm. because a lot of, some genetic illnesses can be, some aren't. When it comes to that kind of thing, I don't necessarily have as much experience because uh, Ehlers-Danlos isn't necessarily terminal. Uh, It can lead to some progressive problems because you have a lot of comorbidities with uh, your connective tissues not functioning properly. But it's so... It's, like you said, very ham-fisted mm-hmm. and not handled well, especially because he's very buff and very warrior. The The epitome of, you know, 
the buff guy in an action movie who everyone is like, oh yeah, he's the guy that's always gonna be fine. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and when Rachel says it's like he's trapped, I'm I'm gonna go ahead and drop the necessary uh repo the genetic opera reference <laughs> uh and discuss when one of the main characters uh, thinks about being trapped by your own genetics and like it's hard to even begin to explain that feeling Mm. and the way that this writing is like oh yeah we totally understand that Uh, you know and we're just gonna treat this as like well he's been lying to us and Mm. you know we're just gonna confront him about it because how dare he and it's like but you have to understand why when he comes Mm -hmm. from a society that shelves people like this and immediately calls them morally wrong for using the only way that he can deal with this illness Mm -hmm. other than you know, smoke weed every day. Um, <laughs> and even then, that that just deals with the pain symptoms. That doesn't do anything for the end result. Um, so that's kind of the, like, the band-aid over the giant crack in the middle of the ship. Plus you have the overall issue of I don't necessarily think that this would be the same if we were talking about a human. Mm. Because say if this were one of the Animorphs friends or family members it would be a lot harder to stomach or if it was even one of them. Because obviously we can't morph out of our own bodies as much as humans would love to. Um, Right. You know, like, you you break a bone, you'd love to morph out of your own body to not have to deal with that for a while. Um, But it's a lot easier to, and like we talked about with caregiving, it's a lot easier to deal with it being someone else when it's not you. It's a lot easier to look at the way society deals with disability and say, well, it's not me. It doesn't affect me right now. So I can push it to the back burner. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Cassie going, why haven't we seen signs of his being in pain immediately? <laughs> oh, God. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I mean, yes, she's the daughter of a vet. So she's used to like maybe thinking about it in that way, but also it is a very reductionist attitude. Just like, well, they he doesn't look disabled. Like, mm. well, but like as as a child of a vet, she should know that there are a lot of animals that don't show pain unless they literally have no other choice, because showing pain is uh makes you a target. Ma- makes predators. you a target. For predators, exactly. Mm. Oh, um, I I actually remember the first time 
I had the revelation that not everybody realizes that when you say I have chronic pain, I mean literally 24-7. Because I was sitting at a friend's house making a Pathfinder character. um, And, like, it it wasn't anything, like, malicious on this friend's part. Um, I was, like, shifting in the chair, and she was like, oh, do you need, like, a different chair or something? Are you currently in pain? And I was like, (laughs) I just kind of blinked, and I was like, oh, well, I'm always in pain. And she just, like, blinked, too, and we just kind of sat there for a moment, and I was like, oh, I thought you knew. Um, (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. that, to me, is that moment, again, of, like, it being very obvious that the writer doesn't walk in these circles or know very many disabled people, if they know any at all, because Mm -hmm. that's a dead giveaway. Like, it's very easy to know because it's so easy to hide it, especially when, like we've talked about before in this episode already, uh, the Andalite society puts such a high, you know, uh, oh, what's the word? The value. Value, thank you. <laughs> but such a high value on warrior culture and being able to suffer through things so that you can continue to be useful. Mm -hmm. So he would be used to never showing any sign of weakness. Uh, And... Cool. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. I just got to like, it also calls back to what Danielle was saying about machismo and how it's also like toxic masculinity. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like men don't cry. You don't let people see that you're hurt. You grin and bear it. Yeah, absolutely. I I wouldn't know as much because I I'm not a uh, assigned male at birth person uh, seeking any sort of treatment for disability or chronic pain, but I would imagine that a lot of people who grow up in those spaces or in those bodies feel that way when they first have those problems that they're supposed to suck it up and Mm -hmm. you know not say anything and that's why there are a lot of you'll see a lot of health drives focused on men's health and you know speaking up because it seems a little you know like Especially in today's day and age, because you're like, well, you know, healthcare has long catered to white cishet men, but white cishet men are also more likely to be part of that toxic masculinity, suck it up, Mm -hmm. I'm not really Mm -hmm. in that much pain, and sometimes cause more harm. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I think that's definitely also part of this, and it's... Mm -hmm. Ugh. And then Axe. Oh god, Axe. Ugh. Him saying, besides, I would never give my permission for such an act. Like, he doesn't even have to think about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, it's... It's weird uh, in that, you know, it is a uh, running 
issue for the Animorphs. Like, they put a lot of really weird weight on acquiring sentient or sapient uh, morphs. Even though when they have, like, it, it is explicitly, you're not, like, taking over a new version of that person's body, right? Like, you're not inhabiting, when, when Cassie morphs Rachel, she is not, she's inhabiting Rachel's body, but she's not inhabiting Rachel. Right. Um, and it, it it's like, it. Axe has kind of gone along with it, but it's never seemed like he's been particularly against it, like, as a thing. He certainly doesn't put as much weight in it as Cassie does. Um, most of the others just kind of go along with it because Cassie has a huge hang-up with it. Yeah, and also, like, we've seen Axe acquire them as morphs, but then I remember you and I talking in a previous episode, just like, how would he ever acquire another Andalite mm-hmm. um, as a morph? Um, and yeah, uh, you'll notice if you listen to more of the back catalog, this is one of my favourite things to get mad at in <laughs> Animorphs, is their weird hang-up about uh acquiring human dna and like animals with higher degrees of sapience mm-hmm. um yeah. but yeah uh, i'll have to chat to you more off mic emily but um <laughs> my character on dumb kids um also has uh has eds uh had i known my character was full-time going to be a part of the cast i probably wouldn't have uh, made that choice um, but I have a couple of freight people who are like actors sensitivity readers for me when I have questions. Um, but it's something I've tried to make really clear uh, in my explorations with Kel as a character about their attitudes towards the way they use morphing and the fact that they do use human morphing and if they ever use it like as a respite, and I've talked about them doing that sometimes. And I've also made it very clear we had an incident back end of the last season, beginning of this one, talking about giving the morphing ability to somebody to get rid of an injury that had caused them to go blind. And Kel being the person like, I'm not, because they're never going to want to take on a morph and just like get rid of it. Because that was a crucial thing for me was I didn't want to do a narrative about, oh, well, you can use morphing to cure something. Right. Because that felt, A, gross, and B, the only way valid character arc for an, uh, a disabled person is to seek out being not disabled anymore. Like, you live a lesser life because of it. And it's a really shitty thing a lot. In, and again, it's that ableist thing, just like, well, why would you want to be disabled if you didn't have to be? Mm-hmm. Surely that's the worst thing in the world. Like, eat shit and die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, exactly. It's yeah. one thing, like, I know it gets trotted out a lot, that um, that moment in, I think, X2, just like, like they found a cure, and just like, and Storm be like, there's nothing wrong with us. Just like, yeah, the girl who touched, who could kill people by touching them, getting told by the goddess of weather. Just like, <laughs> mm. But it's one thing to, like, maybe see guys to live with things, but, like, it's not the same thing, but um, being autistic, just like, oh, well, I could cure your autism. Just like, hmm? No, I just, I, a person shouldn't have to change. The world should change. 
Like that's how it should be. Like it's, I can I can get mad about it, and that's a whole other conversation <laughs> for another day. But we should be willing to make accommodations and make the world better and more accessible and less traumatic. Rather than expect a person to change. Yeah. It's a very, I'm, I'm to understand it's a very personal kind of decision and Absolutely. thought process. So it's like, yes, the world you. has to be ready to offer whatever solution that, you know, a person wants to seek. Yeah. It's about people should have the option if they want to and means of making their lives easier or more comfortable. But again, we shouldn't force things on people, but they should have the option and the right to mm-hmm. choose it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's uh, the post about Rogue and Storm. That's the mm. uh, the whole thing that came out of that is that it should be up to the disabled person. Uh, I always, I always love that analogy. I think that's mm-hmm. a great one mm-hmm. because it shows that each disability is different, and that right. each mm-hmm. experience is so vastly varied that you can't mm-hmm. just paint them all as oh, they all need to be cured, or all oh, they all shouldn't be, or some should, some shouldn't. Especially if it's mm-hmm. somebody who isn't disabled trying to use the paintbrush. Because, mm, yeah. I mean, that's one of those things that I had to think about, too. I was like, would I, if somebody came up to me and said, hey, I have a cure for Ehlers-Danlos, do you want it? And honestly, I don't know if I would, because it's just something that's always been a part of me ever since I was born, even before I knew what it was. Because, mm. you know, like, as a little kid, I was like... Hey, watch this. I can do weird things with my joint. Uh, <laughs> and I just thought, you know, I was like, oh, haha, I'm really flexible. Um, until mm-hmm. I met someone who also has it. Um, so even though it does have downside, it's one of those things where you have to think about what it means to you. And yes, mm-hmm. it does have its negatives and yes it sucks a lot uh can confirm but Mm. you have to think about like the fact that it's been there long before i knew what it was and that Mm -hmm. it's hard to even conceive like the fact that i would be a completely different emily Mm -hmm. without it Mm -hmm. Yeah, I also have the thought of like deaf culture, like capital D deaf culture. Uh-huh. Right, like absolutely. The the uh, the discussions about whether or not children should be given cochlear implants and things like that. Just like oh, how it's wrong to rob a child of the. It's just like, mm, mm. <laughs> um, and then versus maybe like because people don't think about like extreme like eyesight as a disability, but how common glasses are. That's a assistive glasses are an assistive an assistive device i'm just like yeah if people want to choose to have lasik and things like that and it, they all feel like branches of the same tree if that mm-hmm. makes sense they are um mm-hmm. i feel what this boils down to and part of why the way 
this stuff is talked about in this book is it feels like it's very removing the agency of the characters involved. Yes. And just like, oh, well, why don't we just offer this? Or why don't we do this? How about you let them make the choice? Yeah. And whether consciously or not, they're bringing their own hang-ups and assumptions about the individuals to the to these thoughts that they're having and to be fair that's human nature we all bring our own baggage to everything as much as we might want to try and set it at the door yeah but yeah i think it just again it adds to that otheringness Mm -hmm. and i think you were saying emily just like it'd be different if this was a human or a friend of theirs or whatever like there's a whole book where one of their chief friends is malfunctioning like their hologram projector is broken and it's just like that is like a part of their physicalness is breaking down and is causing a problem for them it's an analogy and it's not like a direct comparison but the way that's treated is different Mm -hmm. because oh well this is a we can fix this and uh, I just get there was my thought. I apologize. I cycled away from my thought and, and came crashing back into it. But the fact that these are andalites and that, and then they are othered by acts mm-hmm. as well. Like it's like that further degree of separation and making clear, oh, that's a different situation. And make the choice, then like, um, we need to make a choice about this situation. Mm-hmm. Again, it's like that distance there and yeah. what gives them the right. Right. Yeah, because it's it's made clear that these are both permanent conditions. Um, mm-hmm. and like unless Gaffinalin does acquire another Andalite, um, he is going to die from this. Uh, and you know it is understandable why Gaffinalin wouldn't necessarily want to acquire a child. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. We we don't listen. We don't hear what his thought process is regarding that. It's probably not what Axe thinks, uh, considering how fucking biased Axe is. But I can definitely understand the <laughs> when there is when there is the possibility of another option, not wanting to relive adolescence. Um, yeah, nah. <laughs> yeah, nah. nah. <laughs> <Never again. laughs> Once um. was enough. <laughs> um, besides the fact that it would make him a literal child next to Myrtle, who isn't. You know, there's a whole other thing with that. Um, and, you know, it's. I really do like that we get Tobias interjecting here a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. Tobias's reasoning for being stuck as a Nothlet is obviously very different, but he was still trying to escape something terrible. Um, Also with Tobias, he has had the choice, or he now has the choice and has been like, not fully pressured, but he could choose to become an Olithic again and go human and stay that way. Mm-hmm. And he's made the choice not to do that. Right. 
and is continuing to make the choice not to do that. Mm-hmm. And there have got to be days for him which is like, man, being a hawk fucking sucks. <laughs> I hate this, actually. Yep. We've seen that. <laughs> but we've seen his bad days, but also, like, he part of him likes being the hawk and he likes what he can do and he's need and want and drive to be part of this war and knowing that he wouldn't be able to fight it any other way. No wonder he is reacting so strongly to this conversation. Like, imagine your best friend saying, oh, this thing you are fucking sucks. This is actually yep. a bad thing. Yep. And oh, it's and a that cowardly thing. It's just like, oh, if you chose to go no with it, just to not deal with this anymore, you would be a coward. Yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah, it was like Tobias is a like 13, 14 year old. Like the, one of the few people in his life that cares about him and knowing like, oh, well, maybe it'd be different if it were about me. Just like, it's like, oh, well, it's okay. I have a friend who is this. Or I don't mm-hmm. mean anything by it. But uh, as I said, there's this point later that comes up and it is like, don't mock things about people. Or if you're being yellow, like, people, you know people and people know you who are experienced this thing or know this thing. Mm-hmm. And you attacking it attacks them, whether you realize yep. it or not. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, uh, I really like, uh, this, uh, I'm once again going to plug Daymorphing. Um, it, it handles this issue much better, I think. Um, I don't know what the author's relationship or not with disability is, um, but at the very least, uh, it's much better than this um, in terms of how it's handled and in terms of like the other people like Axe actually facing consequences for being this biased. And, uh, having to learn to, uh, change that and learning to change that and like actively going through that process of change, um, as opposed to here where it is kind of acts plays lip service at the end to, to change, but also it just doesn't. It, it's not a good difference. Like, it's very... Yeah, to, to quote uh, Immortan Joe, mediocre. <laughs> <laughs> it's not enough. Very to... mediocre. Yeah. Uh, but it's... Uh, it, it's significantly better than this, and I, I keep looking at that, and then looking back at this and being like, uh, things that could have been um and yeah i just i circle back to them them trying to make this special episode and just not you can see the attempts right and you can see what they're trying to do it is one of those things that you're just like, would it have been better if they hadn't tried with how yeah. botched it yeah. is? Yeah. 
Because it, it just that comes mm-hmm. up like the. I know in the the server we've been chatting about a little bit about a recent video essay, um, sacrificial trash from Sarah mm-hmm. Z, and it is like, is it better to do a thing poorly, and but have made an attempt, and the attempt is being made in earnest. Mm-hmm. It's being made in good faith. Yep. It's just so bad. <laughs> like, oh. yeah. We were all rooting for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 It's it's a swing and it's a miss. Um I f- I feel like if Axe actually had some kind of introspection and changed, it wouldn't feel so awful. Yeah. Agreed. Um because like like Jade said, it is it is being made in earnest. Like Axe is in no way made out to be correct about any of yeah. these things that he's saying. Yeah. Um at, at the end of it, Axe is just like, I was wrong about this person. Yes. Like, well, this is a special case. Then yes. there's no indication like I need to readdress how I think about people like this on a wider scale yeah and it's it's very i will think of you as you were and it's like bitch bitch no the person who he is is a person and he's is still the same he's still person. that person yeah uh it, yeah it it's just yeah we should we should keep going we should move on uh they all sneak in as honeybees into the house um, and uh, basically confront Gaffinilan. Um, and uh, Jake, Jake is basic- fucking baller in this. Jake, Jake does great. Kick- yeah, he's like, bitch, no, I'm not morphing. No, <laughs> this is this is the form I'm most comfortable in. Excuse you. Yep. Like. Sometimes Jake being very good at what he does makes me incredibly sad. But this is one of these moments where I'm like, yeah, you do that, my kid. Because <laughs> there's also a little bit of obnoxious teenager in it. He's just yeah. being polite. And it's just like, oh, yes, mm-hmm, good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Jake goes to the front door and is invited inside eventually. Um, Gaffinilan confirms, like, you're Eximilized Prince. Cool. Um and Gaffinilan is like, why don't you come into the uh, secret side room um, and I'll close the door behind you. This is all totally fine and normal. Um- <laughs> this is like the bit in a Looney Tunes cartoon where Bugs Bunny is like, yes, come step into my trap door. <laughs> uh, Jake goes along with it because he knows that the others are around. Um, Marco sticks very close, um, as does, I believe, Axe. Uh, no, it's just Marco, Jake, and Gaffinaland. Um, and cut off from the others who are in the greenhouse. Um, and Gaffinaland is basically like, uh, uh, you know, Myrtle and I were very fortunate. 
Um, was anything else able to be salvaged from the dome ship? Basically, he thinks that Jake is another survivor from the dome ship. Um, Jake is completely non-committal. The dome ship was completely destroyed, which isn't a lie. Uh, yes, yes. Henry's eyes darted around the room. Then he looked back at Jake. Jake, it is a good name. Is it a shortened version of something else, like Axe for Aximili? It's just what people call me. Jake was giving the guy nothing. Uh, Gefinilan spoke loudly with false heartiness. Please make yourself comfortable, as will I. And he demorphs. Uh, why haven't you demorphed? I prefer to speak with you in this form. Uh, but you insult a fellow Andalite by not revealing your true self. My true physical self is irrelevant. Prince Jake. Gefinilan's voice was forceful now, almost threatening. I insist that you demorph from this ridiculous morph. After you explain what you really want from me, Jake countered. Enough! Gefinilan took a step toward Jake, tail blade raised high, arched forward over his back, and then he stumbled on nothing, groaned, closed all four eyes. No doubt about it, the guy was in pain. Axe was right. Sula's disease, or something else pretty serious and getting worse. Jake started to move forward instinctively to help. No, I said, wait, let him tell us what we need to know. He stopped himself, checked the impulse, waited. Gefinilan. The Andalite opened his eyes, the main ones first, regained his composure. No, he said, his voice hard but low. There will be no talk. He turned away from Jake, stepped slowly to the table of weapons, picked up a shredder, turned and pointed it at Jake. Now you will do as I say. Uh, Marco calls for reinforcements. Um, and Gafanilan is like, uh, so demorph, uh, don't think that just because you look like a child, I won't kill you. And Jake's like, what if I am a child? <laughs> a child. <laughs> I, uh, I just love the notion that Jake's voice just like, what if I am a child? <laughs> just, I just, <laughs> we don't get, and I like. Him being cool, I just like it, but what if I just like, you wouldn't hit a guy with glasses, would you? <laughs> you would hit a guy with glasses. Um, yeah. And Gafinilan is like, you're, you know, you're not being clever, you're boring me, demorph, blah, blah, blah. And, and a grizzly bear roars. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> and she crashes through the wall. That. <laughs> yeah, I right anytime Rachel Kool-Aids is just it makes me real happy. Yes. <laughs> and Cassie Axe and Tobias follow almost daintily through the rubble. <laughs> and I love Jake being like, I'm sorry we bore you, Gafinalan, but we're bored too. <laughs> just like, uh, mm, yes. Pay no uh, attention to the grizzly that just smashed through your wall. <laughs> and listen to me. Yeah. And Gafinilan is like, four warriors against one? Uh, and Marco, who has demorphed, is like, five if I morph, six if Jake does. And Jake's like, look, we're not here to fight. We just want you to be actually truthful with us. Uh, and Gafinilan's like, you're the Andalite bandits. Are all of you except for Eximili human? And Jake's like, yes. He shot a glance at Tobias, more or less. Uh, we were enlisted by Prince Elfangor to, to fight the Yerks. You see, Axe said matter-of-factly, there is no adult Andalite for you to acquire so that you may escape Sula's disease. What? 
Daffinalan roared, pointing his his shredder at Axe. How dare you make such an accusation? I am a warrior. Never in a galaxy's age would I disgrace myself by acting with such base and selfish cowardice. <sighs> Silence. Gafinalan's hand began to shake, and he lowered the shredder. And then Tobias spoke. You know, in the Andalite world, it might be considered a moral failing or a crime against personal honor or something to seek to cure yourself in any way you can. But not here. Not on Earth. He's right, Cassie said quickly. We don't judge or condemn people who seek health through legitimate paths. We... Gafinalan raised the shredder again. You don't understand at all, he cried despairingly. Nobody understands. Why don't you explain? Jake suggested quietly. Uh, and Gafinalan does. It is true. I have Sula's disease. But what I have done, I have not done for myself. I have done it all for Myr Myrtle. Obviously, Myrtle is not more capable, Axe said. I do not understand. The ghost of a small, self-mocking smile appeared in Gafinalan's main eyes. You see, nobody understands. I suppose there is no reason to keep the truth of you. Some human, some meddlesome, possibly innocent human, stumbled upon Myrtle feeding. Visser Three saw the tape, whether on television or in some other way, I do not know. But it was enough. Myrtle was seized by the Yurks. Only then did the Visser discover that Myrtle was a vehicle. Gafinalan's voice tightened. Of course, the Yurks have no use for a mere, and he uses the C word, especially one who is not morph capable. Which is fucking bullshit. Uh, blackmail, I guessed. Yes, the Visser used Myrtle to find me, and I offered to exchange myself for Myrtle. After all, it was my fault that he was seen by a human. I should have protected him more carefully. But Myrtle anticipated my action. In an effort to save my life, he informed the Visser of my medical condition. Gafinalan laughed roughly. The Visser has no more use for an Andalite with a several-month life expectancy than he does for a people. I suppose you could be grateful for that, Cassie commented. Gafinalan turned an eye stalk in her direction. We all want to be wanted, he remarked quietly. The Visser still wants something from you, Jake said. Oh, yes. Visser three is quite clever and quite cool. He has offered a trade. If I bring him a healthy, morph-capable morph Andalite, he will release Myrtle to me. And you trust him? Rachel spat. What choice do I have? Trust and act or do nothing and wait for news of Myrtle's murder. When I unexpectedly encountered young Aximili, I did not hesitate to bait my trap. Axe interrupted. You are willing to betray one of your own people to the Yerks in exchange for your friend's life? For the life of a mere vehicle? For me, Gafinalan stated, it is not about action traitorous to my world. For me, it is personal. It is about friendship. Fuck off, Axe. What the fuck? <laughs>